Adam, Adam Dauphin, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, my my uh, seductive and lovely co-host, Brent Carroll. Hello. And um, this is, what is this, the the fifth one? Uh, fourth. It was fourth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the even, yeah. even number. Yep. This is the fourth episode of Director Showdown, and basically what we do is uh, we... We put two directors, and we, we each pick a director, and we face them off. And in this episode, uh, we chose uh, Stanley Kubrick's um, Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the director that Brent has chose was uh, Steven Spielberg. In the last episode, we did, uh, was it Munich? Munich, yep. yeah. So long ago. Yeah, so, yeah, we just want to give a little... Um, update i guess like it uh, how long has it been probably uh it's probably been man two months a month and a half or so well the thing is is this is all going to be this is going to be like week four for people listening but mm. we watched <laughs> we watched this movie for the first time uh well adam had seen it before but i watched it for the first time a couple of months ago it had to be at least a couple of months and uh you know we're gonna podcast and then fuck this movie is long this movie's like three and a half hours so we we're like let's Let's do it a night this week, and then things happened and got busy and just kind of got put on the back burner. And so, and yeah, in the meantime, we got some new mics, so hopefully this will sound better uh, than previous weeks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then we finally decided, hey, let's you know watch it again, and then finally podcast. So here we are talking. I about know it. after much uh, trouble setting up and praying to God that the mics would work, but mm-hmm. uh, let's hope that. Uh, the quality of our podcast goes up. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so uh, let's just uh, give a basic summary for those um, who are not familiar with uh, the uh, 1975 film Barry Lyndon. Did you want to just give a little little thing? Yeah. So it? essentially, the story follows you know one character on his his you know journey through life uh redmond barry a irish irish right man. irish uh irish rogue i think was the uh, yeah it was the correct <laughs> term I, I, I yeah um just kind of like on his journey through life going through various duels and uh kind of like trying to climb the ranks and like be somebody of value and like uh yeah, and it's like it's like an epic. It's like if I had to compare it to any other type of movie, it's like I'd compare it to, like a Scorsese, like uh, Casino or uh, uh, Goodfellas type, where it kind of follows this this character on their rise and then their kind of inevitable fall, which mm. is kind of the second half. And it has two parts. It's like separated by an intermission in the middle. So mm-hmm. to kind of like separate those two things. Yeah, it's um, sorry guys. I'm just such a popular Dick. fucking guy. <laughs> Is that your mom again? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to turn off my Wi-Fi. Mom. My mom loves me. That's why I'm so smart, because my mom loves me. Yeah. Anyways. Barry Lyndon's mom loved him, too. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is, it, is, it is one of those typical rise and fall type... Um, Plots, but I can guarantee you that uh, I was about to say Steven Spielberg, Stanley Kubrick, <laughs> yeah. uh, does it in such a phenomenal way. Mm-hmm. But before we get even deeper, I'll just give the basic synopsis that um, good old IMDb provides. Yeah, do it. In the 18th century, in a small village in Ireland, Redmond Barry is a young farm boy in love with his cousin Nora Brandy. Yes. You you heard that Incest, right, everybody. Right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, sign me up, fam, right? You know, and it's uh, incest. Literally fam, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when when uh, Nora, his cousin, gets engaged to the British captain John Quinn, Barry challenges him to a duel of pistols. Very important. Duel, mm-hmm. Duels with pistols is a, really a common... around to that. Exactly. Common metaphor a common theme excuse me um, so Barry uh, he wins and then escapes to Dublin but is robbed on the road by Captain 
Feeney. What is yeah. that? his name? Yeah. Captain Feeney. Feeney. Yeah, Good old Feeney. Feeney. Without an alternative, Barry joins the British Army to fight in the Seven Years' War. He deserts and is forced to join the Prussian Army where he saves the life of his captain and becomes his pro- protege and spy of the Irish gambler Chevalier de Babouri. Babouri. <laughs> He helps, he helps Chevalier and becomes his associate until he decides to marry the wealthy Lady Linden. They move to England and Barry, in his obsession of nobility, dissipates her fortune and makes a dangerous and revengeful enemy. Man, that is a really <laughs> ambitious summary. Like that it really makes it sound I don't it's very epic sounding, which I guess I mean, the movie it, is. The movie yeah. yeah, the movie is pretty epic in like its uh scale of like uh not so much like what you see visually, but of how much of this guy's life it's like a uh like a like a Forrest Gump type movie. <laughs> How that's you, that's how a bad you, comparison. How do you mean, yeah. Just just in the fact of like we're gonna follow this guy from this young age to being you know this very successful like I, the Scorsese example is even better. But mm-hmm. I'm just surprised at how ambitious that like summary is. It's like we're gonna take you through every big plot point of this movie in the summary. It gives away a little too much, I think, honestly. Well, I will. I will before I will give credit to Claudio. Carvalho of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, because he wrote that, so okay. props to him. But it, it, it's interesting because that, that plot, the way that it's toned is very, um... I guess, like, I want to... Like, I hate using the word epic, but it's very epic in tone of this, um... This plot summary. And the movie itself, it is epic in scope, but not necessarily tonally. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, uh... It's usually the typical uh, Kubrick, well, I guess we can talk a little bit more about this in the signature move section, but, Mm -hmm. you know, Kubrick's always very uh, clinical and and cold in tone. Yeah. Well, this is like, this plot summary um, gives it a a spice to it, you Mm -hmm. know know what I mean? Well, and I'm glad you bring up that, that it's like cold kind of in tone, because Something I, I like just caught in like my old notes when I when we watched it the first time a couple months back is that I wrote this to me like feels like the least Kubrick or like the the most Spielberg uh, like Kubrick film because it's like it's not very it's honestly not very cold like it's pretty human uh, just like even down to and we'll talk about this I'm sure more in depth but like the nuance of like the character interactions and how little that you have to hear them talk to understand what is going on like under the surface. And that's Mm -hmm. like a really, up until I saw this movie, that wasn't really something that I thought Kubrick was, you know, a master at. And then I saw this and I was like, Oh man, no, he can really like dive into really subtle. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and just go into a signature Kubrick move since we're already there. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of my, favorite things about this film was that he was able to uh capture emotions and tensions between characters just by having without explicit dialogue Mm -hmm. um what i've noticed what i noticed a lot in this viewing was that he would have he would break a lot of um you know you know you you take you know photography 101 you know that whole deal where it's like rule thirds, never yeah. have your subject center frame, whatever. But Kubrick breaks it, and he puts them center frame, and he'll just linger on them for a split second longer than you're usually comfortable with in film. Mm-hmm. And you can just see how that actor or actress is reacting to the situation at hand. Mm-hmm. And... One of my favorite scenes was the the scene where uh, Redman first starts his um, courtship of mm. Lady um, Linden while they were gambling, and it was you know it was yeah. perfectly lit, it's gorgeous, and they didn't speak an, a word to each other in that scene. Yeah. 
but you could see like just the you could cut the sexual tension with a fucking knife yeah, like it was, it was crazy insane, yeah like the way that she looked at him just looked away looked at him mm-hmm. how he responded the same way and he just he picked it up really well and i like i said during during that scene it's like We've all experienced, I mean, if you're not a fucking loser, we've all, <laughs> we've all experienced that where you, you find you're a fucking nerd, <laughs> a fucking cuck. Um, we've all experienced that with someone that we are interested in and they are interested in us. Just that, um, that constant, um, uh, playful game, like between each other without anything without spoken anything being said. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find... Like, I can't think of another film that does that so well. I was just know? thinking about that, too. I was, like, I was trying... I'm, like, racking my brain to think of another movie that, like... Like, portrays that tension, like, without having to... Without characters even saying anything, as well as this movie did. And the thing that this movie does so well, and Kubrick does in all of his movies, is he's, like, really, really patient and will, like, let scenes go on for a long time to kind of develop this, uh, you know, uh, like, feeling of... So that you can, like, really get into the characters, like, headspaces. And that comes into play Mm. as well, like, at the end with, like, the the final duel. And I don't know if that's, like, getting too ahead of ourselves, but, like, that whole duel is really long, but, like, it's so tense because it's in real time. Mm. And you see it play out in real time, and you're just like, fuck. Like, in the way that it develops, and, like, he shoots, and, you know, all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's just so good. It's a damn master. It's part. It's, pr- it's part of the reason that the movie's over three hours long. <laughs> it's not like a casual like, oh, I want a fun movie after work. Like, let's watch Barry Lyndon, and. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. Yeah, um, I would also like to mention the um, the zoom out shots. Oh man! Oh, my yeah, God. so many. Of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! And yeah, and so so good. Like the one that comes to mind is the um, the first duel when it opens on the guns, and you just see these guns center frame, and you're like, "Hmm, what's going on here?" And then it's just a slow zoom out. And what the zoom out does is it allows you to kind of like receive the context of those guns and like what's happening, who's involved, and it's just like a really interesting way to like start a scene, to like introduce a scene that way. And, uh, yeah, it's really effective. He does that a lot in this movie. And I'm sure he does. I noticed it, I think, more so. I didn't even notice it really the first time we watched it. Now, today, when you mentioned it, I was like, wow, yeah, he really does that yeah, a lot. I'm sure he does. Yeah, the just riddled with mm-hmm. the zoom outs, you know. The slow zooms, yeah. And um, on this view, on this time around, I, I thought of it as if um, it was like a painting in the sense that, you know, when you, like, let's say you're in a museum and you look at all the paintings there, usually your eyes drawn to one particular um, mm-hmm. uh, part of the painting, you know, the the main attraction, I should say, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You're focused on something. But then you look at that particular part long enough, and then your eye begins to start to wander to other parts of the painting to mm-hmm. give it more of the context. Yeah. And I thought... Like how Kubrick does it, he does he gives you the same thing, but in a sense he does it in a in the dynamic film sort of way where like he'll have he'll force you to see the focus of I guess his equivalent of a painting. Mm-hmm. Like like with the duel at the beginning, like you would it would it was first zoomed in on the guns being uh, prepared for the duel, and then it would slowly zoom out. And reveal more of that painting, mm-hmm. you know. I just thought it was like I, I like again the whole the whole breaking of uh, photography one on one. It's like you don't mm-hmm. you don't do you don't do zooms. Like mm-hmm. it's very it's so hard to make zoom look good. It yeah. just looks shitty most of the time. Unless you have uh, lenses made by NASA, exactly. <laughs> Which is. Uh, no, I mean that that that's like the whole like picturesque uh, thing that you were talking about. Actually, is like a perfect segue into the trivia, and that's not even one that I say, but it's one that I kind of saw in reading about it. Um, the cinematographer and Kubrick actually based uh, 
a ton of the um, like cinematography of the movie on actual paintings, like on paintings that they actually saw. It's like by one artist, um, I don't, I can't remember it offhand, his name, but off one guy in particular, they like legitimately based a lot of the scenes on like his paintings and like recreated them almost. So like a lot of the ones you're probably thinking of and like that we saw in the movie, I'm sure are like actual paintings and a lot of, you know, similarities and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, there's some other really awesome trivia too. <clears throat> um, I mean, it's kind of going to jump around because, well, let's get, let's, let's do the, um, let's do the most basic trivia of this mm-hmm. film. It was based on the novel push by Sapphire. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. It uh, really, really strays from the uh, source material, too. It's, uh, I mean, if you've read the read the book, obviously, it's about, you know, the, uh, what's her name? Uh, you know, the large black teenager gets molested by her mom's boyfriend Who's or something. Who's named Barry Lyndon. Yeah, Barry Lyndon is like kind of the, yeah, the, the character based on that guy. And, uh, actually, she steals a bucket of chicken when Barry Lyndon steals a bucket of chicken in the movie. I thought See, that was a nice That's reference. where we get the, uh, the restaurant called Barry Lyndon mm-hmm. that sells chicken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The famous national, uh, fried chicken chain, Barry Lyndon's fried chicken. <laughs> Anyways, terrible joke aside. Yeah. <laughs> Shutting that down. Ac- um, it's actually based on the 1844 novel called the luck of barry linden mm-hmm. and 1844 that's 1844 yeah Damn, that's crazy. so so uh what happened was that kubrick had he had made 2001 a space odyssey he made a clockwork orange before this oh 72, yeah before right? yeah that's before right. um making uh barry linden and his plan what his plans was to do Napoleon. I th- I, don't, I don't know if that was the name of the, the movie, but he wanted to do a, uh, a, a film about Napoleon's life, and this film called Waterloo, which I never heard of, um, obviously based on Napoleon because you know the famous Battle of Waterloo, Waterloo yeah. and it didn't do so hot in the box office, so the studios pulled out of. Um, out of developing Napoleon, and so Kubrick decided to shift his focus to the novel he had read recently, which was, you guessed it, The Luck of Barry Lyndon, mm-hmm. and not the push by Sapphire. Yeah, although that was also one of the biggest books of 1844. <laughs> uh, little known fact. But no, just like uh, in talking about like the production stuff, there's some really interesting kind of bits of trivia that I was looking at. Um, so filming for this movie, uh, took 300 days during a two year span, which is ridiculous. That's crazy. (laughs) And it began in May, uh, around May of 1973. Um, it suffered two major shutdowns, uh, and resulted in a then bloated budget of $11 million, which for the time I, I have to assume is, is pretty ridiculous and pretty insane. But, uh, let's see other production stuff. So, uh, Warner Brothers would only finance the movie on the condition that Stanley Kubrick cast a top ten box office star. Well, that's that that's bullshit. No, well here's here's where you're wrong. <laughs> Actually, Ryan O'Neill, who played Barry Lyndon, okay. was the number two box office star uh, of 1973, topped only by Clint Eastwood. Well, what the hell was he in? See, okay, that's where yeah, that's where I'm getting to. Ironically, this was his only time in the top ten. Uh, as exhibitors who voted for the li- attributed the success of Love Story, 1970, one of the top grossers of all time, which I don't even know what that movie is. Uh, oh, they attributed it to Ally McGraw, um, who was also in that movie, I guess. Let me just list the other ten stars. Yeah. Though. So it had to be one of these one of these people besides Clint Eastwood, because this is just fascinating. Um, Steve McQueen, Burt Reynolds, <laughs> Robert Redford. Oh Barbara God. Streisand, Paul Newman, Charles fucking Bronson, John Wayne, and Marlon Brando. I can tell you, like, straight up, none of those actors would have fitted into Barry Lyndon. Like, I could see Robert them. Redford, honestly. I could see that, maybe. Can he even do... I think he could have... He would have been the only one 
to be able to pull off kind of like where Lyndon begins and where he ends. Yeah, I what think. was this guy's name? Ryan O'Neill? Was that Ryan O'Neill, yeah, yeah. He did, speaking of him, he I thought he did a really great job in this film. He is good. This is like the only thing I've ever seen him in. And he's like, but, he, yeah, I know, same. Yeah. Like, I, I've never seen him in anything else, but like, to me, he is Barry Lyndon. Like, mm-hmm. I can't see him as, if I saw another movie um, with him in it, I don't think I could ever yeah. escape Barry Lyndon's character. Yeah, I think it's it's to the movie's benefit that they went with him. Mm -hmm. Because I think in a lot of other... Like, for instance, I just saw it for the first time a couple months ago. If it was anybody else other than him, I would have kind of had that, like, preconceived, like, oh, man, this is Robert Redford. I'm watching Robert Redford play this guy. And I think that would have taken away from the characters. Like, a really fascinating character. That's so crazy. That's that's nuts. Yeah, it's it's totally, man. Some of this trivia. And there's a couple of... um, trivia bits just kind of random um that uh i found interesting so uh the both of these kind of tie into other famous directors so this is actually one of lars von trier's favorite movies <laughs> it may that makes a lot of sense actually yeah I mean, it, it really does yeah and uh and it follows to say it is clear to see how the chapters and narration inspired the structure for the likes of dogville antichrist and nymphomania nymphomaniac volume one and, uh, yeah, and the last one here, this is Martin Scorsese's favorite Stanley Kubrick film, which ties into kind of what we were talking mm-hmm, about before. Mm-hmm. About, like, I can definitely see that he saw this movie and was, like, really influenced by it for future things, like, obviously, Goodfellas and Casino and mm-hmm. even Wolf of Wall Street. Like, that structure of, like, this three-hour epic following one character, you know, chronicling, like, a rise and a fall, like, definitely. He took yeah, those. I guess... Uh, springing off that note that um that note it is just so watching it the second time around i know we've said that a lot but it 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 made it made a a drastic difference in Mm -hmm. in uh understanding the film because like we knew we knew what was going to happen going into this second viewing so you could see you knew how Barry Lyndon was at the end. Yeah. While we we saw him at his inception at mm-hmm. the beginning. And it's there's the two Barry Lyndon at the beginning and Barry Lyndon at the end are drastically different. Yeah. Um but the way that he gets there is just so incredibly seamless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the film is just constructed in such a way to, or even I'll say the plot is just like everything just made sense for what he was doing, like logically. Mm-hmm. And then you just you take a quick, uh, you do a double take, and you realize, wow, this guy has changed like immensely yeah. from his humble beginnings. You know? And that's what I I had like said somewhere like near the middle. I was like, I really want to find, I want to like see if I can find the point where like he is, like, past the point of no return. Like, where he turns into this person at the end who's, like, this garbage person who cheats on his wife and is just, like, just this massive manipulator. And it's, like, you're you're right. Like, it is really seamless. Like, that kind of just gradually happens throughout the movie, kind of, you know, just through the events. No, that's that. a great point because um, I think realistically, uh, people don't just have, like, you know, the epiphany that, like, oh, I'm going to be a shitty person now. Mm-hmm. It's something that is gradual and learned over time. Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning, Barry was... I should say Redman. Um, Redman was this ideal... Yeah. Redman Barry! <laughs> Back to the Future reference, dumb. Sorry. Shut the Continue. fuck up. Continue. Anyways. <laughs> Redman was very idealistic. He was young. He was in love mm-hmm. with his cousin. And he said, you know, I will do anything. I will take I will take this guy on. I will fight him even in the church. And I guess that's a bad thing, to fight them even in the church. Yeah. So he was willing to do anything to get her. And then life happens to... I think that's really... Life happens to Barry. Mm-hmm. You know, him just growing up and realizing that... Things aren't just what, um, aren't idealistic in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And when he found 
um, Lady Linden, he was like, I don't really care about love or anything. I just want to get that some of that money. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Like, he just he just saw a uh, another game, mm-hmm. which is you know I just had this. Uh, it just came up to my head right now is that the whole thing the whole idea of a game. Like, he was a gambler. That was his professional, um, Mm -hmm. and it was all about, uh, he would, because, like, the book is called Luck of Barry Lyndon, Mm -hmm. and the first act is just straight, like, it was all lucky situations that made him rise to the top. Yeah. But he was, he also knew how to capitalize on those, um lucky situations Mm -hmm. and that's just like you know gambling like just because you are lucky like let's say you know you get i don't know you get a you get a good deck you still know you still need to know how to how to play it yeah you know to play the hand no exactly and barry was very good at it but then the second act happened yeah yeah exactly it's uh man the first act, yeah, or I should say the first part of this movie, is such a like breezy, um, just like entertaining Disney feel good movie. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't go that <laughs> far, but it's like it's it no, definitely is different from the second part because the second part, like the first part, is setting up this this house of cards, and the second part is just that fucking house of cards, just like crumbling down and him losing like everything spoiler alert i guess um for a fucking 41 year old movie but (laughs) yeah so yeah um it's (laughs) but i'd like to another thing I, i noticed about it was that it's just this this weird maybe maybe it was intentional maybe it was just of the time I don't know but everything at least in the first act everything was um, all gentlemanly mm-hmm. you know like every like whether it be courtship like how he was trying to get with his <laughs> with his cousin yeah. you know he would do all this like I know, say all this shit and go through this ritual you know yeah very gentlemanly like and then with the duel you know as a gentleman's duel and whatever mm-hmm. and even when he got uh robbed by good old captain feeney which i could never forget his fucking name good old captain feeney retired harry potter <laughs> so we can call him he had he had round rimmed glasses yeah, yeah he, he was, was like harry potter he was, was harry potter, he was harry potter so if he's, he was uh, a pirate if 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 harry potter was played by steve bannon <laughs> That's what got to stay topical, I guess. <laughs> this won't be released until like five years from yeah. now, probably. So yeah, we'll right. be we'll all be dead. We'll be then. dead. It's fine. But uh, yeah, even even when Captain Feeney um, robbed him, he was very gentlemanly about yeah. it. You can keep your boots. Keep your shiny boots. I would normally steal them from you but... yeah i was gonna try to whip a like pull a quote out of my ass and i was like yeah. holy shit i can't with the, the language that these people use in this movie <laughs> it's all very polite and gentlemanly and proper and, uh, and witty yeah it's really witty that. though very yeah witty. i love that highwayman uh highway robbery highway, scene. High, highway women High, the, the highway women scene no with um steve bannon harry potter when he steals uh mm. his horse and his uh, guineas or whatever it's great it's so witty and funny and but yeah, yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you bring up a, an interesting point of uh, kind of the first half, all of these kind of like gentleman-like reinterpretations of uh, like human nature, like more like animalistic tendencies. And then the second half is kind of a lot more, it's like letting loose all of that suppression. So like you have the scene where his, uh, what, what would that be? What would the title be? Son-in-law, right? Whoa, for... Or stepson? For his, his his shitty kid, the kid who's done taking his crap. His stepson, I, I would, is his stepson? Yeah, stepson. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, good old Lord Bullingdon. <laughs> yeah, Bullingdon. When yeah, dude, when he like lets it loose and fucking like punches him in the back and like beats the yeah, hell out of him. That exactly. scene is. I think I think that scene is so intense and so great because 
the movie is so kind of like suppressed and like there are fight scenes and things like that but that scene like really like cuts loose and you're like oh okay so this is what this guy is feeling like deep down we finally mm-hmm. get to see him like unleash it you know yeah i mean it goes i'm glad you brought that up because that goes with the whole like i mentioned before the the expressions and how like mm-hmm. You could still tell um, what was lying beneath, mm-hmm. but uh, it was still restrained. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the ex- the expression they were trying to hold back what their feelings were, because that was what was. Um, what's it's not what's the correct term? Um, Polite, I mean proper. Yeah, there's like some term that I can't think of right now, but like generally like proper like mm-hmm. you said like you had to apropos have... is that is that what that means that's not what that means. i don't think that's what that means i'll edit that out <laughs> anyway <laughs> no it, it like the suppression of um the suppression of what you're feeling at the moment how to express that in a healthy manner and you could see it permeate through their um their very subtle expressions and then it's so great to see that scene that you mentioned where um barry linden just pops mm-hmm. um lord Wellington. yeah and like that that's kind of like the breaking that that's kind of like where things you think that's the climax of the film it honestly might be like from a from a pure i don't want to use the word like action because it's not I mean, it is an action, but I, I'd say it's in I think some it's a parts. Literal climax. Yeah, right. I think it is too because it's from that point on. There's no repairing, like that. That situation no permanently damages his, um, you know, trying to get a title so that he actually right. can receive, um, you know, like the the estate or whatever. If his wife died or if uh, you know something were to happen, that he would actually be the heir to that. But that mm-hmm. that. You know, him beating up his stepson totally shut that down because nobody would even, you know, look at him really or have lunch with him or anything. Absolutely. And everything, yeah, everything kind of, it's interesting how that's the, I would say that's the climax mm-hmm. rather than the intermission point. And yeah. that, the intermission point, by the way, was the point when um, the Is it where husband, he meets? No, it's when um, Lady, Lady Linden's husband lord linden uh dies, dies has right. a heart attack which yeah. is a great scene actually that's such a good scene yeah <laughs> um like so, yeah. yeah it was great because he, he was having a heart attack and the narrator just kept going on while he like dies yeah while he <laughs> fucking dies it was great then yeah i wanted to say just that the narration in this is really great like i i put a note in my phone like when we first started watching it again tonight and it started talking and i was like it's like Kubrick leaning a little on the uh, on the old voiceover crutch here, but then like after you hear a couple of voiceovers, it's like, oh, this isn't this isn't something that he's leaning on for like a like a narrative reason. This is it adds this is like so a, much. To it does. It. it like adds this kind of like uh, like satirical third party kind of. It's hard to explain. Like it kind of adds this outsider perspective with kind of like a humorous twist. So like it's constantly saying things that are like like funny about the situation that just happened and things like that. Well, what was really interesting about the narrator is that he gives away what's going to happen. Have you yeah. noticed that? You notice that where yeah, a couple of times yeah. he's just like, Oh, well, like I didn't, I'm not going to say it as elegantly as a narrator did, but he was like, um, that kid going to die. Yeah. No, that's the direct quote. I remember <laughs> that kid going to die. I think that's what he's, which let's talk about that scene a little oh, bit. Huh? Oh, I mean, man, talk about, man, the most, I, it's, it's difficult to think of many more scenes in just any movie that are as big of a fucking bummer as this Well, don't, don't make me come just, yeah, you gotta tease me a bit, build me up first. What is the context of this scene? So the context of this scene is... Barry's starting to kind of lose everything. This is after his stepson left. People, He's not going to get his title. He's not entitled to that anymore, I guess. Um, 
He's just kind of like it's focusing on like how he's such a good dad. Like at the very least, he's a good dad to kind of like his actual son that he has with um, Lady Linden, and it's his kid. You know, they're they're riding on their horses. He has a horse. His kid has a pony. Uh, kid's like, Dad, can I have a pony or can I have a horse? Can I get a horse for my birthday? <laughs> and uh, and blah blah blah. The, the kid gets a horse basically, but the dad's like, you can't ride him till your birthday. You have to only go out with one of us. Promise, promise me. That you won't take out the horse, you know, before... And this little shit. Yep. This motherfucker. <laughs> guess what... Guess what he does. Just take a guess, audience. We'll give you a second. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he rides the... He rides the fucking horse... And gets fucked up because he's an idiot and he wasn't riding with one of his parents. It's a big old horse. What are you going to do? You're only used to ponies, dumbass kid. <laughs> Stupid. Dumb. Stupid. So he gets all jammed up by this horse. And uh, and next thing you know, he's, he's like in a full body cast other than his face laying in bed with his dad Barry to the right. Well, Barry Lyndon. And then Lady Lyndon to his left. They're both fucking on the verge of tears. And the shit this kid says on his essentially deathbed is, God damn! What can we like? Can we act this out? Can we maybe? How? I'm trying to. I, it's all right. I so I'm, you're you're um you're 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 little. I'm I'm uh. What's, what's his, his name? name? <laughs> I don't even know. Brian. Oh, Brian. little Brian. You little Brian. Brian. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm Barry. I think I go first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Father, am I going to die? Oh, of course not. You're not going to die. I... All I can feel are, are, are my hands. <laughs> That's the gist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep going. What does he say? No, that's... The, the horse, he just hurt you in the in your body, and that's, that's just what... This what happens. Does... Does that mean the rest of my body is dying? No, of course not, sweet. My darling. He says that a lot. Yeah. Am, am I going to go to heaven? You're not... You're not going to die. Promise me, Father, that when I'm gone, you won't quarrel so with Mother. Quarrelsome people don't go to heaven. We promise. <laughs> that's, that's the gist of it. Honestly, I think that was pretty fucking accurate. Like, we, a little, we, we missed the hands part, which was pretty emotional. Oh, like the hands. Yeah, where he's like, Father, give me your hand. Oh, Mother, yeah. give me your hand. Yeah, that really builds it to the yeah, all I can feel are my hands. Yeah, and you're like, why, oh, yeah. I'm gonna dive off a fucking bridge because this is terrible. Like our, our, ours was very comedic, but goddamn, that was a heart wrenching scene. Yeah, it's it's a real bummer. It's a real bummer because it's it's just Kubrick. Like I like like we said before, Kubrick's a cold kind of surgical filmmaker. And to see the juxtapose, well, this coming out of like nowhere, yeah, it just somehow just added so much strength to it. Mm -hmm. And the and then little Brian, like what he was saying, his his dialogue was just so authentic. What exactly you would expect from a child to say? Yeah, you know exactly. And. I don't think anyone could have watched that the first time around just be dry-eyed. Dry it is yeah, just, man. it is... It was, it is, I was, I was messed up after yeah. that first time. Like, I, like, looked over at you and I was like, man, where... Because, like, this is, like, I'll say, I'll say this again. I already said it um, earlier, but Kubrick is not a director I think of when I think, like, powerful emotional scenes. Like, I just don't. Like, from... You know, Clockwork Orange, uh, Full Metal Jacket, um, 2001. Like, he has very visceral stuff, but nothing... Well, high on concept, a, you know. Yeah, like high the, concept, yeah. like ideas. And mm -hmm. so, when, like, with stuff like this kind of uh, emotionally intelligent, it totally caught me off guard. Right. And I was just like, fuck, man. And this movie overall is, is a lot more emotional than 
other stuff that I've seen him for do. sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more human, you know. So on on that, um, let's move over to what would Spielberg do? What would Spielberg do? Um, I guess like I guess I'll start, but uh, it it was it's really hard. Like I was this was harder than about, than previous ones, yeah. I would think that uh, there would be there is a there was a good amount of battle scenes in Barry Lyndon. Oh, maybe about two, right? I would say it was about two. Aside from like duels, like battles, battle scenes. Yeah, actual like war. Scenes. I think a, I think two. Yeah, I think two, two, right? I think Spielberg would have a lot more emphasis on those scenes mm-hmm. and add ten times more emotion to those scenes because yeah, there was a, I can see that. Yeah, because like there was a scene where he he saves the, the um, his Prussian captain underneath the um, the uh, load bearing uh, log. Yeah, and even even before that, when his friend dies, when they're fighting, oh yeah, like that scene right. would have been like, and it already was, it already, it already was pretty effective. But I think it would have been more. So. I, I think Spielberg would have done like crazy like close ups, mm-hmm. and like. Like, he'd be super sweaty, just muddied. Yeah. And it would have, like, this grandiose, like, orchestra just playing in the background. And you're just, mm-hmm. like, feeling the emotions with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, because, like, I mean, Kubrick did, it was an emotional scene still, but I don't think he lingered in on, he didn't linger on as much as Spielberg would have done. Yeah. I'd say. Because... Spielberg is always trying to take viewers on an emotional journey, like, in his in his movies. Like, that's kind of what he, like, grabs onto and, like, focuses on. So, and, and that's kind of why it's harder to do with this movie, like, to figure out Spielberg's version. Because this movie's already pretty emotional. I think he would have, he would have <laughs> cut down the runtime. I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and then kind of amplified... Um, some of the emotions that were kind of already there, you know, I don't think it would have been drastically different, honestly. Really? Yeah. I think. I don't know. I don't know if if Spielberg would even do this type of movie. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I don't think he, I don't think uh, Spielberg would like the way that. Uh, like the thing that we 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 were talking about the rise and fall. I don't see Spielberg doing yeah. that type. Of, type of that's a good that's a good point he doesn't do really the closest comparison to a movie like this that he's done i would say is something like munich where it's like that movie kind of has a rise and fall where the rise is kind of you know we're on this mission we're doing this holy mission we have we're doing it for good reasons and then it turns into this very gray like what the hell are we doing like that's like the closest comparison i can Mm. think of you know where it's like very kind of uh unclear motivations for kind of what you're doing but i don't know it's hard this is how it would go barry linden he poor he doesn't want to fuck his cousin Mm -hmm. because incest doesn't sell tickets tickets. (laughs) incest don't sell tickets all right doesn't trump's america so he's like you know what i'm stuck in this small town i need to get out of here there's something out there waiting for me let me go join the British Army. <laughs> and, and he does. And he goes on this grand adventure. You know, sailing the seas. Yeah. Hanging out with his, uh... What's his name? His best friend, uh... Oh. The guy who oh, died. Oh, yeah, the, the... The guy who died. Oh, well, him. And I was thinking of the Irish, um... The guy with the ridiculous name that I will never memorize that name. <laughs> with the eye patch and the moles. Oh yeah, the gambling yeah, buddy, the, that yeah, guy, that cool yeah, guy, Bali Bari or whatever. Balibari. The Chevlar, Chevlar, yeah. Chevlar they go. Balibari. Well, that comes like, like he goes on. He goes yeah. on this grand adventure, and then he he loses his his that Irish guy, whatever his name is, the the John Irish John Goodman, the guy who secretly has a crush on him because he always wants kisses from Mulberry Linden. That's a whole thing. But, but Spielberg won't won't have those gay undertones. Yeah, he won't have guys. They're just like you know, they're just really great friends, but they love each other in a totally platonic way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, he gets captured, but he gets captured by the Prussian army though, mm-hmm. and uh, 
Barry has to figure out a way to get out of there, but instead he decides to be heroic and set set his uh, anger aside about the Prussian army and saves the captain. Yeah. And the captain he says, hey, you want to help out the Prussian army? Like, just be a spy for us. And, and Barry's like, oh, that sounds super cool. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> and he does it, and then he finds his best friend, Chevalier Farm. Man, honestly, Barry. sign me the <laughs> fuck up, fam, for that movie. <laughs> that sounds great. Like this is this movie's great, but as like a separate entity, that would I think also be entertaining as shit. And then they meet up and they start gambling. They're out it. Yeah. And they go through their ups oh. and downs. And then it turns into like a catch me if you can like con movie. Oh man, dude, that'd be great. That's what exactly. What that'd be great. And then he. Then he finds a love of his life, Lady Linden, and she's she was never widowed. She's just single. Mm-hmm. And it works out. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that'd be too good. That'd be too good. I think we worked out a pretty fun. I think that's a that is a, that is probably what Spielberg would have done. Yeah. Probably what Spielberg would. Have done. Well. Uh, <laughs> I guess the last thing, uh, we were going to touch a little bit on the historical context, right? Mm-hmm. So, historical con- see, so this one's interesting because there are kind of two different historical contexts, right? Like, so there's, there's the book, multiple, yeah. There's the book that came out in 1844, and then the movie that came out in 1975. I, I kind of lack the knowledge on this one, but what did what did you kind of, uh, kind of get from it? Well, I mean, um, I don't know. Like the in 1975, that was kind of the um, that was late Vietnam War. That was the biggest mm-hmm. thing that was going around, going yeah. on in the world, you know, communism and all that. And I just can't, I can't see, I can't see any sort of um, any sort of context. Like mm-hmm. I, I, maybe it's in there, and I just had, I had to dig deeper, but I couldn't, I could not see it. It's also post New Age, you know, the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even this is like very surface level stuff, but just like the styles in the movie, it's like, like one of the things that I always like to, um, look at in period pieces is, so period pieces are really interesting because, um, it's like, you're looking at two period pieces. One is the, the setting in the actual movie and the second is, oh, this is what people in 1975 thought of the people in the setting of this movie. So right. it's like everybody in the movie is what? What year was this? Like in did it take place? I guess. Oh, it during the Seven Years' War. So that was uh, between 1754 and okay. 1763. But also, it goes past the Seven Years' War. Um, I think. It and the movie ends in like the late seventeen eighties. You're you're right. Yeah, it does kind of cover a really broad. Because he was range. mentioning how like he sent troops to America to fight in the mm-hmm. Revolutionary War. You know, help out with that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Seven Years' War. Let's give a little because I don't. I mean, I don't really know too much I know about nothing. Yeah, even still. Apparently, it was um. It was a war that was uh fought in seven years mm-hmm. and uh you don't say <laughs> no it it it, it, ha- it contained a lot of belligerents a lot of different countries and so i thought yeah. it was funny because it was just like everyone says it's world war one and <laughs> like shit this is like literally this is world war negative negative one it's like world war zero basically. yeah no that's a good point because they yeah. they touch on that in the movie a little bit they say what is it ireland england prussia versus and it's like four or five countries it's like all of fucking europe was against each other at, mm-hmm. during this time yeah i think the main belligerents i think according to wikipedia was um was a uh, great britain and france which was conveyed mm-hmm. in in the in the film yeah the french yeah. was the uh the 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 people they were against. I don't know why it was um why why uh, why the guy who wrote the luck of Barry Lyndon decided to place it in um 
Because it's fiction, right? I don't even know. Yeah, that. I think it's I, I think it's fiction. Definitely fiction. Eighteen forty four, man, that's wild that the story was written that long. Well, eighteen forty four, that was um, what was that? Pre pre Civil War, pre Industrial Age. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really know what happened in mid eighteen hundreds. Like, <laughs> like I take like late seventeen hundreds. That's what I know because you know, fuck yeah, American Revolution. Yeah. And then I skip forward to mm-hmm. late eighteen hundreds because fuck yeah, Civil War. Yeah, it's I like, like I don't even know what like mid eighteen hundreds. That was like everybody traveling west in yeah, America. Is. That's what that was. I think that was like the fucking Oregon Trail and. See, well, but we're talking we're talking about American history though. This guy that's was, true. Uh, yeah, it was a U- sure. yeah, it was a yeah. UK book. Yeah. So, I mean, like this one, this one, um, I think this one is just hard to do historical context, just because it already is trying it is already doing um, a period piece itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a few yeah. layers removed already. Um, All I was gonna say earlier, which adds no value at all but it's just it's just like the fucking like hairstyles like the hairstyles in any movie you can always tell no matter if they're a period piece or not like what era they were in american like yeah you know what i mean no, like if i true. watch if i watch this movie uh like at any point you'd be like oh well this well, has got I mean, to be 70s to be even look at his to, fucking hair look at barry lynn's goddamn hair to be even broader than that you can mm-hmm. just say you can tell just because of what the 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 concept of beauty was in that era. Like mm. they looked very like hot Glam. for yeah, yeah hot for seventies yeah, and that's how you can place them really yeah. easy. And that's know? that's like even movies like uh, like Amadeus and stuff like that were very mm. like glammy, like kind of like like late seventies, early eighties style. And mm. uh, so I don't know. That's that's all. I no, it's a, it, it's not wise. completely fucking stupid. but yeah so um i guess we can just do our final thoughts about the film Mm um do you want to you want you want to take the first uh, shot yeah sure um so yeah overall this this movie's great like um i saw it for the first time like i said a couple times a couple months ago and uh it's long it's long and like i think we took a break halfway through because you kind of have to it's i mean what three plus hours long but it's really really rewarding and i found you know like the best the best aspect of the movie is barry linden's arc and kind of seeing how how he begins this kind of like um shy nervous uh kind of guy like afraid to make a move on on his cousin and like kind of afraid to assert himself and then to see him become this like wealthy powerful um even though he doesn't have a title and he fucks it all up at the end but just like this guy who kind of like um kind of climbs the ranks and then to see him kind of like completely ruin that and fall from grace kind of it's just a really really interesting arc that um I, I guess you don't you don't really see it a, too much in movies like I like I said before like Scorsese does this type of stuff, not a lot of other directors do but um, it's just a really entertaining uh, epic kind of movie that I really loved so yeah um, I agree I agree uh, wholeheartedly um, it's a it's a film that you can always look to like you can always like if it's it's just like a perfect film in the sense that it's just well done film like it's Mm -hmm. perfect art you know you can teach this in a film class you can uh you can watch it really over and over again i mean we watched it twice and Mm -hmm. i don't i didn't it didn't have any diminishing value like you just yeah. notice more. You just more. picked up new stuff. You know? Yeah, it's um, the plot was even. It, the plot wasn't even convoluted at all. It's very mm-hmm. straightforward. Yeah, but the 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 uh, layers beneath is what really makes the film. Mm-hmm. Everything underneath, and that's what um, that's what was so interesting. You know, like 
the whole the whole concept of uh, I don't know politeness or mm-hmm. proper proper etiquette or whatever. Etiquette. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the film itself appears to be like this proper etiquette, you know, mm-hmm. well done, just like normal film, but underneath its surface, it just has all these, all this mess and just mm-hmm. intertwining like gross stuff. Yeah. And it was just so well conveyed, mm-hmm. subtle with subtlety. And just somehow, somehow Kubrick was able to do that. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I can't see anyone doing that that well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful film. I don't, it's hard for me. I think, I think when I, when I say this is like, I think this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite Kubrick film. I can, I'll say 2001 is my favorite because I am partial to um, mm-hmm. uh, sci-fi and that and the high concept behind yeah. that film. But if I were gonna say, you know, like you really want to get get deep into film, then you have to watch Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. There is that should be one of the first movies on your list. Like you want to get into yeah. film, watch Barry Lyndon. It yeah, that's that's a good point. Like th- this movie, Kubrick. In, in really, like, most of his stuff, like, he knows exactly what he wants to convey. He knows exactly how to, to put it in that. the best way yeah. and, like, how to say exactly what he wants to say in, like, each frame and with every kind of, like, line. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any other director could make a Kubrick movie. Or, I mean, I'll say it for Spielberg, too. I don't think any other director other than Spielberg or other than Kubrick can make, you know, the movies that they've made, honestly. It's just they're so, both of their kind of like voices are so unique, you know, so. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Fucking cunt. Anyways, <laughs> I don't think Spielberg could ever do this. Like the, the he subtlety. He couldn't do this. He couldn't. Well, I mean, I'm talking about like this, um, this, this amount of layers, you know. So I I'm really, really excited. I, I, I see where you're coming from, man, but. Having Saving Private Ryan like fresh on the brain, that movie is incredibly fucking layered. Like that movie blew my mind watching it again recently. And I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves, like myself here, but because we're not gonna watch this for a few weeks, but I'm looking forward to it. And I think spoiler next spoiler alert, yeah, I know. you fucking asshole. But uh, to get, I guess so. I guess that wraps up uh, good old good old Barry. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, w- I just it's a masterpiece. I love this movie. That's mm-hmm. all. Check it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and then I think next week we're going to be watching uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind with uh, our buddy John Caceres, uh, who is uh, what's the podcast he does? Uh, uh, he he co-hosts with um, this lovely gentleman named Delphin called Revenge of the Sequel. The sequel. Yeah, yeah. So they they do. Um, I was on. I was actually on their podcast a, a week ago. So you guys should check it out. Check them out. They're pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, we we did what was the, we did Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, two right? Yeah, when nature calls. Um, so yeah, go ahead. You should yeah, you should guys uh, go check them out over there. So um, they they have uh, I think he has multiple podcasts too. So, they have yeah. yeah. I think they have a bunch. And I know I'm really excited for Close Encounters because John hasn't seen it. And it's one of my favorite just movies of all time, really. Mm. So that's going to be awesome. Um, that'll be up next week. And uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, always check out uh, Fam Films Movie Club podcast from Sticker Fridge as well. It's always good stuff. And, uh, yeah, do you have anything else you wanted to toss in there? No. Um, Q and Witty sign off. Thanks for... Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Don't tune in next time.